Hi, we have an addendum to this episode before we get going. Later in this podcast, we have a conversation about what took place during the playing of the National Anthem at Toyota Stadium at the game on Wednesday night and the subsequent statement from FC Dallas on Thursday. About two hours after the recording of this podcast, Major League Soccer released a statement supporting any team or player that wanted to kneel or peacefully protest during the anthem. And about 30 minutes after that, Clark and Dan Hunt themselves released yet another statement expressing love and support for Reggie Cannon, condemning any racist comments made to him, including death threats. We thought it only fair to include this considering the conversation and the timing of the subsequent statements. Do with that as you may, but now on with the pod. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, my name is Peter, and with me, returning the trio together once again. First, all the way from Luton Town, they're staying up. It is Dan Crook. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Peter. Really excited for FC Dallas to start playing soccer again on Sunday. And uh, our fearless leader, founder and editor of ThirdDegree.net, your hero and mine, the one, the only, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter, calling in today from my house because we're in the middle of a pandemic and I can't go anywhere. Oh, I'm sorry. So I guess <laughs> I'm going to assume we're going to start because the season has restarted for our little local club from Frisco. They did play last night. We're recording this on thir- late Thursday afternoon. Uh, and they, as I as I said somewhere else, they offered up the most Texas of hospitality by giving Nashville uh, their first ever MLS win and points a 1-0 defeat, and I think I'm correct in saying that none of the three of us were actually at the game, correct? Yeah, that's true. Uh, I originally was going to go, and then I chose not to um, because of my father that lives with me is high risk, so I've decided to wait and sort of see how it goes. Uh, you know, you can yell at me if you want, but um, I, I took family over the FC Dallas right out of the gate. I probably will go eventually, just taking it easy to start and see how it went. Yep. What was your excuse, Daniel? Uh, I had to run out of town uh, for a a, a family matter. Yeah, I get. I'll it. be back on Sunday. Yeah, I wanted to go, um, but the way that the league has uh, required the teams to manage media seemed pretty onerous, and I just I thought, why why would I do that when I can stay home and watch it? So that's what I chose to do, and I'd love to go on Sunday, but I've got a game myself on Sunday, so I'm going to miss that one as well. So, say la vie, and based on what I watched last night, I'm kind of glad I didn't attend. Yeah, not a particularly scintillating game. Uh, it looked a lot like two teams that haven't played in several months. It looked a lot like two teams that were not super happy to be playing in the heat. Nashville, as predicted, rolled out a very defensive sort of mid to low block and made uh, Dallas get around them. It it ended up for like a 64 to 36 possession for Dallas. But as we've seen with that uh, FC Dallas before, particularly without Paxton, which we'll come back to, uh, they have a lot of trouble breaking down blocks. They have trouble pulling the team out. They have trouble finding gaps and exploiting. Uh, And it did not go well for Dallas and, and Nashville to their credit played a very specific game plan and they, went with some other guys first and then kept their speed players fresh. 
brought them in at the end of the game and counterattacked from our boy Dax McCarty with a nice outlet pass to David Akam and uh, and some crap defense from a couple of Dallas guys allowed them to score. So um, not a strong performance by Dallas, not what you expected to see. I don't think as as gung ho as Dallas was talking as how desperately they wanted to play. I expected a sharper performance than that, or at least a more energetic performance. But again, it was hot. So, uh, you know, probably what we should have expected. Unfortunately, uh, exactly like you said, you know, Nashville didn't do anything too surprising. They sit back. Uh, the two midfielders do get beyond the halfway line. The, the wingbacks push up high. They, you know, they really, they really fill that end line. And it was like FC Dallas just sat back in a low block waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. It never came and they just didn't adapt. Um, it, you mentioned that sometimes they struggle against teams that sit in that low block and it's almost like they struggle against teams that have a plan B. Um, you know, FC Dallas can adapt when they know what's coming at them, but there's uh, there's suddenly a change and... <sighs> I, I don't know. It it just seemed there's a lot. Of, I mean, Lucci's taken a lot of uh, a lot of flack online on social media, and you know everyone thinks they're a coach. But uh, I've a lot of uh, my thoughts yesterday evening were, you know, how much of it was the players because the players were very lethargic. Didn't you know? Even as they changed the game plan, no no player individually picked up until Paxton came on and actually, you know, looked like he was alive. Um, you know, how much of it was the players, how much of it was the coaching. Uh, and I just couldn't really, I kept going back and forth between them. I couldn't really make up my mind on it. I'm going to, I'm going to stick up for those people that are giving Lucci, uh, some stick online because, uh, you know, we're all running at a deficit here, right? You guys aren't able to go watch this team on a regular basis at practice. Um, this concept of Lucci switching to a three-man back line has been a topic of conversation now for several weeks. Uh, we've been anticipating it, but I never have quite figured out why Lucci felt this was a necessary change in the first place. I don't understand how he thinks he's going to solve the ongoing issue of uh, opportunity creation by taking a frontline attacker off and replacing it with Brisson in the back. I can either one of you explain to me what the purpose of the tactical and formation change is just fundamentally in Lucci's mind? I mean, I can jump in with that. We, we've covered it on, on the blog a couple of times. And, you know, Nashville, they played out that 4-2-3-1, which effectively goes into like a 4-4-2 or 4-2-4, depending on how high, how high the wingers play up. Um, you know, when you're playing against essentially a front two, they want to have three at the back. They want to have somebody that can aggressively attack the ball. Um, it was the same reason they switched in the Philadelphia game, same reason they played it a lot in the preseason. Um, and when I, when I say, like, you know, everyone's playing coach, there were a lot of people saying, oh, I would have just played um, Paxton, who, you know, was reported in a week, had taken a knock. I would have just played Cobra, who Lucci said in his post-game conference, He's had an injury for the last two weeks, and really it was just a case of he's not 100%. He wasn't good from the start. Um, but, you know, and, and other people are saying, well, why are we trying this out now? And it's like, well, we, you know, if you, if you watch the team carefully, the very first scrimmage against Oklahoma City back in in early February, they played a back three. Um, you know, it's certainly been playing with 
specifically for that defensive line. Yes, it makes a, a sacrifice going forward. You're taking off uh, Fafa Pico for, for Brisson in that case. You're leaning more heavily on Roger Cannon to get forward and, and, and Ryan Holland's head. And then you're, you're taking Michael Barrios out of his, his comfort zone, which is you know a 40-yard runner at space. And having him kind of sweep side to side as a, as a second striker, which he can do. He did that in Colombia. He's done it a few times, um, you know, under Oscar. Um, so he famously scored a hat trick doing it against Kansas City. But you know, it it is a sacrifice. Uh, you are you're you're trying to almost win a game one nil, or or just uh, you know ensure that. The midfield can push up. They kind of uh, going back to Philadelphia. You looked at that, you know. I know they, um, Bobby was it Bobby Warshaw called it a triple pivot because, you know, you are looking more. Uh, you have your single six and the, and the the two eights can really get forward, knowing that there is that additional cover with the extra extra centre back. But I don't know. It, it it just looked like they didn't put it together. Um, you know, they if you're going to get into a formation specifically to attack the ball aggressively then attack the ball aggressively move the ball forward aggressively don't just just sit back and that's that seemed to be where it fell apart there and and almost you know why it was pointless going to that formation for that game all right so buzz uh after the game lucci took a lot of uh self uh blame uh, took the blame on himself for the tactical changes um, and and in his comments, even noted that if they had just stayed in the three five two, they probably would have ended up with a zero zero draw. But he wanted to go for the win, which leads me to the question that let I read that as he thinks the other formation is a better attacking formation. So why didn't he go to that earlier? One and two again. What was the point to this in the first place? Yeah, the the three five two is is a as Dan pointed out as a defensive adjustment um, hedges has enough pace, but Reto is starting to slow and I don't think Brisson is quick enough either. So by having three guys in there, you can press the gaps between that line um, which is where the FC Dallas is susceptible to that slashing run. And uh, Nashville is going to bring some pace at you, some counterattack pace. So I think that's part of the idea. Now, um, one of the reasons why it's not functioning very well is that the out, the wingbacks, as you guys know from a classic three five two, the wingbacks have to run the line. The wingbacks become your width. Well, Cannon plays wide, but uh, Ryan doesn't. Ryan plays outside in, maybe because he's right footed. So uh, that side didn't work with the width that it's supposed to. And as you say, you take Michael Barrios out of his wide position, and then um, Jesus is not a creative ten. So there's not there's not these penetrating passes that you need in that formation either. And and Acosta's uh, Santos did, didn't overload this time like he did in the first couple of games. And Acosta's overload is usually tends to be balls fired at the top. So it's not working really well. And they tried to make the tackle tactical shift of the four uh, man back line later, which is why, you know, you still had Hollingshead trying to get up and Cannon start trying to get up. So you ended up with basically two guys back there, um, Brisson and, and, uh, Hedges. And, uh, they got overloaded by a calm attacking that gap that we talked about and Brisson doing that little back heel tackle garbage. Um, so well, that doesn't, doesn't well, really it, work very it, well. It, well, it started when Brisson didn't properly pressure him in the first place and yeah. then just took a really terrible body position when they got into the box. So it yeah. was, 
They were, well, and, and and to be fair, Reggie didn't didn't pressure the initial pass yeah. in the first place. Like there's a lot of errors in that particular yeah. goal. Well, and Tiago Santos is gone, so Brian Acosta is now your six, which is not a great necessarily idea. He doesn't cover enough ground there. And Tanner Tessman's ended as an eight. Who, as much as we like him, you know, right now one of his deficiencies is that defensive cover back. He doesn't rotate back enough and hit tackle hard enough. I think his future could be as a six, but it's not now. You know, so there's a lots of there was a lot of go for it kind of mentality in FC Dallas's thing to try and take that game. But the same was true of Nashville. They put on guys they planned for and put on guys late to try and steal that game. And it worked. So, you know, I, I think I agree with you in this situation. Lucci got outplayed and he should come in for some shtick for it. Now, if we want to get into whether he'll keep that formation for the next game or not. I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting question. It, it, you know, he might look to go more of a double pivot back to the usual formation. That way he has a little bit of coverage, but yet he still gets, you know, the wings uh, going forward and, and helping get around. Cause he talked a lot about not enough crossing in the post game show, not enough chances into the box. And I looked it up and there were, there were only four completed passes into the box by FC Dallas. So he didn't get his wing backs forward enough. He didn't get crosses enough. So they had no width and on the big Dallas field that's necessary. So I think it's possible he'll go to back to the old formation just to get the wings on, you know, so which would probably see Fafa Pico start and Michael Barrios push wide again. Um, so we'll, we'll try and see if we can get some feedback from people over the next couple of days and see what we can find out. But right now, you know, the, the team's going to want to evaluate with tape and, and, uh, and I have an opinion about what they think they should do. I think they should change back to their normal, but um, you know, what Lucci will do is a big question mark. All right. After 30 minutes of watching this three, five, two, I, I tweeted out what I thought was a super funny, which was uh, here's my knee jerk reaction to this new formation. FC Dallas, all new levels of possession, even less threatening. And, and what I was most surprised about out of what I saw last night was Nashville looked absolutely open for the taking. Nashville is a terrible team, and uh, while they have some defensive structure, it didn't appear to be all that difficult to open them up if Dallas just had some sort of gumption to do something once they got into the attacking third. And instead, every guy on this team, for whatever reason, and again, I think this is what you guys call Lucci ball, which I'm starting to like less and less all the time is everybody on this team seems to be uh pass minded first, take the ball into space and attack a team second or go vertically second. And, and so when a player receives, receives the ball to his back somewhat to goal or sideways, their first immediate reaction is just to pass the ball backwards or laterally and never to even consider turning around and going towards goal. And it wasn't until Paxton came on that you really start to do, you really start to see to see that. Yeah, I would one hundred percent agree with that. That there was a lot of uh, lethargic play, and Paxton absolutely brightened the game and brightened the team with his willingness to go at people um, and try and create. And that was why I gave him my half-hearted man of the match. I mean, really, nobody deserved it, but I at least gave it to him for changing the game and lifting the team. But, uh, you know, it were, the game it reminded me of was the game last year, the New York City, New York, excuse me, New York Red Bull game when New York Red Bull made it known ahead of time they were going to change their whole squad and go with like 100% second team. And so Dallas thought they were going to walk through it. And you're right that Nashville's not a good team. This looked to me like, again, a team that thought they were going to walk through the other team. They look like a team that expected to win. But isn't, if you expect isn't, to win, isn't, you're not going to win. Isn't some of that on Lucci? Like, yeah. do we have an issue of Lucci's 
again, I, I hate to keep bringing this up, but here's a guy that has never done this before at this level. And I, I think there is a running trend in this team that he has a problem getting these guys uh, heads right with ball going into many of these games. And we get performances like last night. And I, I, I that was my immediate reaction was this was all everybody on the team just looks so slow to pass the ball and do anything with it. Yeah, I think sometimes they have a problem being up for games when uh, they're supposed to be good. You know, they, they they seem to play over the last year. They seem to play to the level of the game. When they're playing a really good team, they play, they bring it out and they come gangbusters. When they're playing a really bad team, they tend to kind of walk through the park a little bit. So I think that's a fair assessment. All right. So, Dan, I want to ask you about another observation that I made, because, again, I'm still, you know, I'm a fan of the three, five, two uh, uh, on a base level. But I was really interested in how Lucci was trying to implement it last night because there were these really weird periods of time. And I don't know if this was a, a directive on Lucci's part to Jesus or Jesus was just doing his own weird thing. But Jesus was consistently found out deep and wide. And uh, Santos would move forward and Acosta would end up being the, the, the kind of that top midfield, center midfield position. And it, so I guess my question to you is, do you have any sense if Lucci is asking those guys to play a fluid three-man system where everybody can play any of the three positions? Or is he trying to get Jesus in a position to get the ball deep and take it forward and he's just not doing it? I mean, they certainly have had an element of that fluidity um, at least when you're playing with guys who who can play all three of those roles, uh, Jesus obviously doesn't have much of a defensive aspect. Uh, it, yeah, I, I don't know. It seemed like trying to just shoehorn him in there um, in a place where it really wasn't suitable because Paxton had taken a knock. Um, I mean, I almost feel like if you're going to do that, you may as well have just rolled out, you know, any of the other eights they've got on the roster who who can play a little bit higher and, and kind of contribute and you know can be the sacrifice if they do need to uh, to switch back out to the four two three one. It, I don't know. It it it, it harked back to the uh, the Jesus experiment gone wrong of of trying to make him a pure ten when he was kind of like nine point five. Yeah, at this point, I actually would be happy if Paxton's not available to try Thomas Roberts in that spot. At least he's more of a natural, you know, free eight uh, or something. I, I got to tell you, that kid's not impressing me at the USL I level. Know. And until he does something at USL one, I don't think he's uh, earning any time at Major League Soccer level. No, I think that's probably true, too. He has to dominate that level, but let's not get sidetracked. Um, the other thing I was going to say was that the guy that is also missing sometimes, I think for me is Brandon Cervania, who, if you remember that stat from last year, when he has this massively high goals, you know, X goals added compared to anybody else on the team over the last half of last season. Um, you know, I think Brandon of the eights, you know, right now, Brian Acosta and him and Tanner, I think for me, Brandon has the most ability to get forward and create, you know, with his passing and maybe even a little dribble into the gap. And my assumption is that Jesus is going wide, looking for gaps to exploit, looking to be able to pick up the ball and turn and then go into those gaps. But he's not. It's but, not working for him. I agree. Don't get me wrong. I'm well, not trying but, to but, look, but hold on a second. I don't even think he's actually making it. I saw I can think of one time last night where he won a ball wide and deep and he took on his defender, beat him and actually yeah. created what was probably the best chance of the team. Uh, up until that point. But prior to that, I don't think I ever saw him turn and go with the ball 
I don't I don't think once the entire game it was really really weird which just continues to fester my questions I have about Jesus Ferreira's place on this team yeah I, I would agree I mean I don't think that's the right spot for him I mean I wrote, I wrote that whole big huge article about how I think he should be an off striker you know which this team doesn't use until this game of course and then they didn't use him <laughs> you know, it's not the right. I mean, for me, like if you're going to, if you're not going to have Paxton in there, who's the only real creator on this team, right? He's the difference maker. We've talked about that over and over that he's the guy that elevates, you know, you might as well go with Acosta Cervania because at least Cervania is a guy who can make a pass, a splitting pass, I think, and, and create, you know, at least gives you something. Cause I mean, maybe this is all gets back to what we're going to talk about later with a new player coming in. There was one kind of annoying tendency I saw between uh, Ferrer and and Hara pretty early on. It was I think it only happened a couple of times, but Ferreira would lay off a short ball to Hara. Hara would take it forward. Ferreira would get around. He'd, he'd overlap him on the right, uh, get into a great position, and then Hara would try to shoot through a crowd of players rather than make the uh, you know play the nice through ball to Ferreira to you know potentially get a shot away that has half a chance of going in. Yeah, I wondered as I was watching that how much of this has to do with a new guy making his debut and wasn't getting a ton of service up until that point and was just trying to make something happen. Although that those weren't always the best decisions, I agree with you. Yeah, he seemed to be forcing it a little for me, but I, I mean, that's understandable. I mean, I, a new guy trying too hard to overcome stuff. I mean, basically I saw the exact same player that I had heard about from you know, we can't watch it anymore, but I still hear things. And so basically that was the exact same player I've heard about. Um, he has a tendency to want to come out and pick up the ball and, and try and carry it into the box. But the thing that's missing for me is for him to just go get in the box and post up a little bit. But, you know, without a lot of good crossing, as Lucci talked about post game, maybe he bailed on that idea when the ball wasn't coming in there. Um, and at some point here in a minute, we'll talk. We are, actually, you know what? You already brought it up. Um, the Cobra basically missed like two weeks of training, which is why Hara got the start. I mean, he was likely going to get a good shot anyway. You know, when you're paying a guy that much money, he's going to get a shot. But um, that's why Cobra was only a late game option because he just now got cleared to resume training. Okay, so, but I, th- this does bring up another question, set of questions that I had simply based on, I was really I was really uh, interested in Lucci's substitution decisions last night. I I was unaware that Cobra had a knock, so I immediately was like, "Whoa, he put in Pepe over Cobra? That that's interesting." But maybe I'll lay that off to uh, the the fitness issue. I was really shocked he put Tanner Tessman in when he did, and for the person that he did, like I I was really surprised he took Acosta off and didn't leave Santos on, especially if he was uh, shifting to the formation he was. I, I, any other thought? Do you guys have any any thoughts into the substitutions he made last night? Well, the only thing I would say about Tanner is that uh, in that scenario is that he actually is capable of scoring from distance, like even more than anyone else on the team. Probably he's probably the best shooter from range, and if all you're getting his shots from range. You might as well let him try it. And now, of course he skied one over the top to prove me wrong, but I Boy, have seen him ever. score from like 40 yards in the Academy. So he is an amazing shooter from deep. Um, and then the only other reason you would take a Tiago Santos off and leave Acosta on is again, Acosta has shown an ability every once in a while to actually score from deep. It's not a very high percentage, but certainly not from that know. free kick with the last kick no. of the game either. No, no I, I'm not saying it was a good that the, what you saw was a good result. I sometimes I just grasp for reasons why, you know, on these things because I'm with you. I, the way Tiago Santos played in the first two games, 
I thought he would have been a natural, but we didn't see that play from him. That play vanished. That idea of letting him get forward and do things. I'm not sure what happened. You know, four months of training without playing, maybe just wore him out, I suppose. But um, there were some odd uh, patterns. I mean, I'm surprised you pulled Reto off too. I mean, I, I know Reto's getting older, but I would have pulled Brisson off and left Reto on because Reto's a better passer. So, and a better you know, defender and a better everything. A better, yeah, I mean, better everything. Don't get me started. This guy's 34. He's still better than the other dude. So um, I'm not big on Brisson, if you can tell. Yeah, the, uh, so the, I, some the, of those things are mysteries to me too, Peter. I don't, I don't always have an answer for them. Yeah, I just want to note that uh, your comment about Santos taking the ball forward. One of their best opportunities is when he did exactly that. He did like a twenty-yard dribble into the top of the box and got fouled, and they got a they got a free kick out of it. Yeah. Um, and and that's one of the things about his game that I've been most pleasantly surprised by is that he he it, in three games now has consistently been willing to take the ball. Uh, from deep midfield positions and attack uh, and and go through lines. And I really like that about him. He's one of the few guys that'll do it. He didn't do it enough though. And and I have to say that his passing was really off in this game. He had, he had 10 missed passes and eight of them were in his own half. So like there was some lackadaisical passing and choices by him too. Yeah. The last comment about the three, five, two I'll make is, and and you kind of touched on this it, my concern with the with the formation is simply that I don't think he has wingbacks to play it, and Ryan in particular, I thought had a really poor game last night. They got very lucky that his miss uh, his miss pass uh, in the first half didn't lead to a goal. In fact, I think it was Nashville's first really good opportunity was was started on a Ryan's uh, error. I, is there somebody else on the team that can play that position better, either on the left or the right, that we haven't thought about? Well, if you want, for me, when a three-five-two, the two components of a wingback has to have is you have to be able to run the line hard end to end, and you have to be able to do it the whole game. Um, and that's Ryan's problem is that I mentioned before he's an outside-in player, which doesn't work when you need a wingback because the width has to be from the wing. So the only one I can think of is Brian Reynolds has the uh, fitness and the pace to do that um, and run the game end to end. I Johnny Nelson on the other side, possibly. I've just never seen him do it. So I don't know that he can do it. Whereas I have seen Reynolds do it. So um, they don't have great wingbacks for that scenario other than possibly Reynolds, but Lucia's already passed, passed multiple times on giving Reynolds a shot. So I don't think that's going to be the, the likely option in the next game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So just to summarize, are we in agreement that the decision to move to a three man back line is interesting in a base concept as a new formation for teams that come at them aggressively. It just probably wasn't the right time to do it against a an expansion club playing their third ever uh, game. I would agree against a low block sitting patient team for at sure. home, no less. At home, yeah. yeah. Dan, yeah, you've you've got to dictate the game from the first minute in a home game. I definitely see the merits of it. I mean. You know, I did the whole article on it and a video breaking down what scenarios Nashville have that require it, but you want to score. That's, you know. Yes, yes. All right. The other uh, very upsetting major tummy grumble situation was the late news that Paxton would not be starting because he had, quote, picked up a knock. One, do we know what this knock is? And two... Are we now officially uh, red flagging Paxton as fragile? 
Yeah, the uh, I, I did not get specific information on what the deal was, but on the broadcast, Steve Davis mentioned that uh, I can't remember what his exact words were. Something about a flare up or a little thing with the same area, the same hip groin area. And I know that he mentioned, I think it was to you, Dan, you know, that he occasionally is has a little soreness after training or whatever when he kicks the ball. I think it was on one of the Zoom calls. Um, my my guess is that between that little flare up and overload work and they're worried about Paxton long term that um, they just were being precautious, which is why he's able to go. I don't know. What was it 30 minutes? But, um, you know, if, if Paxton can't get a long run of health, he's going to stagnate his career because no one's going to take him to the next big step. If he can't be on the field, it's the Mauro Diaz problem where Mauro only started half the games he was eligible to. And when he was with FC Dallas, so if Paxton can't, I mean, how, what's it been now? We're coming up on almost a year since he originally hurt that thing and went out of the lineup and hasn't been consistently been able to start since then. Well, maybe the end of that story is, is he gets a $3 million a year deal with a, a Middle Eastern uh, club. Yeah. And, you know, they'd <laughs> I mean, love to have a little blonde haired American kid playing over there in the Middle East, yeah. wouldn't they? I'm going to take the paycheck, right? Why not? Um, okay, so let's. Uh, so, what are what are your thoughts, Dan, about what this team does and how they answer for what really is a bit of an important game uh, for them to win? Um, not a must-win, obviously, but man, it's going to be really valuable to get three points on Sunday. How are they going to go about doing that? I mean, they need to to come out the traps. Um, whether they they opt for a three-man back line, which I probably you know after what Lucy said, they probably won't. Um, you know, we'll go back to the four two three one, uh, the four three three. Sorry, um, they, they need to attack the ball. They need to be the high pressing, luchy ball, not the let's just pad out the numbers and get the six hundred pass target and do nothing with it uh, team. Um, which certainly one thing they've worked on a lot uh, in the off season was the original off season, not this third one. Um, <laughs> Was, you know, <laughs> if you're playing the ball around the back, clear to a winger. Winger is going to run. Um, now, maybe with that being a wing back instead, that kind of got a bit muddied. But there was what, a two-minute spell where it was just the three centre-backs going, Matt, Reto, Brassan. Brassan, Reto, Matt. Ooh, let's skip Reto. Let's skip, you know. And it was just, uh, you've got three guys standing next to each other just just doing a passing drill. Um yeah, they've they've got they've got to take the game to Nashville. They've got to actually have a, a real response. Hmm. Any per- personnel changes, Buzz, that you would anticipate? Oh yeah, uh, I like Dan. I think you go four three three, which brings on uh, Fafa Pico on the left for and takes off Brisson. You get Barros and Pico crashing the box from wide as you're used to. I think Hara will keep the spot just because you know with Cobra coming back from injury, and you want to give Hara a chance since you're paying him a million bucks to actually do some good. So push him into the box, start Paxton. If you can start Paxton because he's creative uh, and then stick with Santos and Acosta for now in the middle. Um, and that's pretty much it. Other than that, your kind of bet is made with, uh, with Ryan and, and Reggie. And um, you know, I, I think that's, if you do that and then you, and you get Paxton to, to drive the thing, drive with the energy you know, don't go 90 minutes with him, but go 65, 70, you know, and let him dictate the pace of the game. I think that'll make a big, big difference. I, I was actually just thinking, uh, just, just sort of occurred to me, after all the stick we gave uh, 
our beloved garden snake, you know, just really being honest about how he was getting on originally. That was the end of a seven game streak where he scored, uh, you know, a goal in each game, eight goals and three assists in that seven game home stretch. And he was unlucky not to have scored last night because it took a significant block from none other than Walker Zimmerman uh, to keep him off the scoreboard and tying the game late. So, yeah, Zimmerman was under everything. He was exactly what you'd expect a player who had a pretty bad breakup with the team coming back and wanting to prove a point. Yeah. He and he's got a new contract to uh, show for it too. I think oh, he just, just, didn't he just, just sign a new deal? He did three years. Yeah. Um, just think uh, if Oscar was still the coach here, he'd have probably scored a hat trick. Yeah. Uh, you know, as somebody who uh, was uh, very high on kicking Cobra when he was down, I have to admit the dude came on and showed some energy uh, in fact, all, the three guys that came on and actually seemed to change the the game a little bit, and also along with the formation, Paxton with his willingness to carry the ball forward, just um, uh, Cobra and his overall energy, and Fafa Pico came on, and he was yelling and screaming and freaking out when people weren't giving him the ball when he was wide open, and I and I really appreciated him seeing him act like that because it just gave a level of like care and consequence to the game that I hadn't really seen from anybody else to that point, which was a bit disturbing and frustrating uh, nonetheless. So hopefully we'll get to see those guys again. All right. So this leads us all up to uh, another topic that I have a weird feeling this whole three, five thing, three, five, two thing uh, is related to, which was the stunning out of the blue news that started to leak when when was it when did we start hearing about this monday oh, was just barely over a week ago yeah yeah so this bizarre story that fc dallas still by the way everybody else including the player his former club uh in fact the commentators mark and steve were even talking about it last night but the club themselves have not commented <laughs> on yeah. that uh star colombian midfielder at least from the colombian first division uh, Andres Ricarte, is that how it's pronounced? Do we know yet? Yeah, it's that's pretty close. I, the, I tried to do it as best as I could, and that's pretty much the same thing I get. There's an accent in there that I can't quite handle. All right. So this appears to be a legit baller from the center midfield. And I think, uh, like everybody else, we all looked at ourselves and reached inside and went, wait a second, they've got like 11 center midfielders. What? This can't be true. But no, it is, and he should be here, and I'm sure the club will announce it here in a matter of our days, if not hours. Yeah, what I thought was fascinating this week is there was an interview with them where he talked about how aggressive FC Dallas was once they were interested and how emphatic they were to get him, and like he's already looking for flights to come here. <laughs> it's like it's nothing from the team yet. Uh, the, the initial reports were attacking mid-creative players, so like I, I watched the tape that, that was available and I see a deep lying player, a guy that comes from way, way behind like a free eight or even a linking eight where he's making this run into the box 20 yards behind the forwards and making these shots and these passes from deep. So that makes more sense to me because like a pure 10, you're like, well, that doesn't do any good. We already had a couple of those and Lucci got rid of them because he doesn't use a pure 10. But if you play, if he plays the way this video looks like, okay, well now it looks like a guy who comes from the, free eight or the linking eight sort of mold. And then it kind of makes a little more sense. And the other thing that occurred to me uh, while I was sort of doing a little thing for the patrons about it was that um, over the, the rest of this year and next year, there's going to be a heavy national team load with 
all these players that FC Dallas has that are in the senior national team, the Olympic team, the U20 team, if you include Tessman and, and Thomas Roberts, you know, uh, uh, Costa's in his national team. The only one that's not is Thiago Santos. So you could real quickly end up with six or seven guys gone out of your midfield all at one time. So, you know, you, you can understand it from a depth decision alone. Plus, we've decided that Jesus Ferrer is a terrible eight or 10 or whatever. We want to get him out of there. So, um, you know, for some reason, there's a couple of guys like Edwin Cirillo and uh, Brandon Cervania and Thomas Roberts who seem to be falling out in terms of their chances to get playing time. So the bench is shortening and and obviously they've decided they're going to go get this guy. And that's the way I can make it make sense in my head is that he's not a pure 10. He's a deeper plying holding, not a holding mid, but a dinker, deeper linking type mid, even though he wears a 10 jersey. Dan, what was your initial reaction and what's your reaction to this now that you've had some days to kind of understand it better? Uh, initial reaction was, yeah, right. Okay, good one. Um, but yeah, yeah, it kind of, uh, it's making more sense, right? We've we've all, all three of us have said it sort of between ourselves as it's gone on. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's becoming a need and, I guess if you want to do a knee jerk offer yesterday, you could have definitely uh, filled a, a spot or two. And particularly when you take into account that revised international calendar with uh, thanks to COVID and, and all the players going, I was just thinking it's a shame Buzz did that, that whole breakdown of who would be missing on which days for how long, and which FC <laughs> yeah. Dallas games would be affected. You'll just have to do all, it again next year. All that work was wasted. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah. You know, I, I like everybody else. I was immediately confused by it because my my understanding of what this club is all about is growing its own and and giving those guys an opportunity. But I, I actually, and after I thought about this for a few hours or hell, even a couple of days, I suddenly got kind of excited about it because I'm not convinced that it doesn't actually give us an indication of a shift of maybe philosophy within the club that if they actually somehow identify a guy who is, by and large, based on everything that I've read and seen from different places and sites, arguably one of the best two or three midfielders playing in the Colombian First Division. In fact, I read a, I read one thing where Pibe Valderrama himself is been touting this guy, um, which is about as high praise as you can get from that country. Um, if that if the club sees a talent of that level and is willing to spend the money to get it, then I think that's a good thing for this club, even if it means displacing homegrown talent. Because I, I I am starting to get to a point where I'm tired of just waiting to see homegrown talent flip a switch and go to the next level. And I am starting to believe that the only way that's going to happen is if they're really pushed by inbound foreign players that are of another level on a day-to-day basis. And and so I actually, if in fact this ends up happening, and, he, and two, he ends up being the player of the quality that we're all being led to believe that he is, uh, and, and we don't use the Cobra situation as a reason to uh, be hesitant in believing it, um, or the Coleman situation to, or, yeah. or, or any of the aforementioned any of the four guys that happened before um you know i think this is actually a really really good sign for the club that they are starting to understand that they can't just uh win championships based off of kids they bring up from the academy yeah what's unusual particularly is that he's a 20 years eight years old which is dead prime of your career 
So that's very unusual for FC Dallas. Usually it's kids or it's old guys. And so you do wonder, okay, at 28, why is he still in Columbia? If he was really good, he'd be in Europe. Well, yeah, he would be, you know, so this means that he's a player that Dallas can afford, you know, but still when you get a recommendation from Valderrama, when you get these guys talking about, he's been in the player of the team for a couple of years now, you know, he's a bit of a, what I was able to research, he looks like he's a bit of a late bloomer. So maybe that's part of it too. But, you know, it all seems like it's a guy who maybe is in the prime of his career and maybe is a guy that FC Dallas can afford. Maybe it's a COVID discount as everyone's looking to make money. There is only a 50% of the money up front, you know, so it's not, it's a decent bargain, which, you know, that's them. That's an FC Dallas specialty is trying to get bargain players. So, you know, we're optimistic. I'm trying to be optimistic that maybe he actually is going to help this team, particularly you know, is the workload of it because they're going to cram a lot of games in the back half of this season. There's going to be a lot of call-ups. So, you know, if it works out, fantastic. Great. I'm excited. It does seem like, as you mentioned, Peter, it is a slight tack away from play of the kids, but I totally agree that like, it's as we joked before, this is not the youth league where it's your turn. It's like, you got to take it and keep it and own it. You know, and if this guy challenges you and you can't keep it, that sucks for you. It's a it's a good tack away from play the kids in a way. Uh, we know that Dan Hunt's talked about a homegrown eleven and a homegrown MLS Cup winning team. Well, a homegrown eleven. Well, f- forget the uh, the Jesse Gonzalez problem with that. Um, y- you get to a point where if they're any good, they're going to get sold. We're talking about how Reggie now has a contract that is primed for the idea of selling him. And, and, you know, everything going forward. And when Paxton has a good spell, people talk about selling him. And, um, you know, it's it's just you've got to have some realism that, yes, ideally we, we would like to name uh, 11 players who are homegrown, but you would also like to say, hey, he would have played in this homegrown 11, but he we sold him for a boatload of money and brought this guy in. Well, if this, you know... Um, if this is how you do it, bring in players like uh, Riquate and who can fill the holes before they're necessarily there, and, and just you know provide some continuity in the team. Then maybe that is the way forward. All right. Well, we'll uh, hopefully by the time we do this next week, uh, he will have uh, reappeared and or he will have made an. They, th- I'm sorry. Hopefully by the time we do this sh- uh, pod next week. They will have made an announcement. He will be here and playing with the team sometime soon. Andres Ricarte. Uh, and w- he's with uh, uh, Medellin. Is that who he's with? Independiente In- Medellin? Yep. Yeah. So uh, it'd be, you know, what would be fascinating is to get Oscar's opinion of the guy because you know Oscar is 100,000% aware of exactly who he is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you would think. And it's an, you, you never know how these things go. It's entirely possible that his original contact may have come through Oscar. You know, like last year or something. Oh, yeah, that's you a know, good point. Or, or, you know, at least Oscar might have tipped him to the league. Or, I mean, who knows? Or Muzi. I mean, it depends on who knows what. You know, these things go well, behind the scenes. But, you know, we, we mentioned, uh, uh, you know, the midweek press conferences. As we just get the emails through for tomorrow's press conferences, um, Lucci was talking about it was, it was more based around uh, the Orlando stuff, but he said, you know, that Oscar has been a great help and trying to help with resources that, you know, maybe spare resources, like, I don't know, a player who may not fit in your system but may fit in another team that you are very friendly with system. <laughs> are you hinting around at something, Dan? Are you being passive-aggressive? I'm just saying there's two plus two and there's a logical number four sitting over there oh okay very good 
Uh, we'll put a pin in that one. Uh, all right. And then the other word was is that uh, because of the Jesse situation, have I don't since the last time a, a third degree podcast was done, had, was the Jesse situation announced at that point? Have, has this been addressed on the pod in any way, shape, or form? Uh, not since the ruling, no. Okay, so uh, just to make sure and just to do due diligence, uh, Jesse's deal, Jesse got canned, got shit canned. Um, And uh, he's no longer with the club. His contract was expired, and he's free to do his business however he wants. Somebody did ask me, um, do they retain MLS rights for him? Do we know that? Yes. So they do. So if if for some reason another MLS club was to pick him up, which is never going to happen, at least not in the foreseeable future, Dallas would get something for his rights, correct? Yeah, their release specifically said that he's a free agent outside of MLS. Ah, very good. When MLS are the ones that fired him, you've got to think he's blackboard. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with you. Um, all right, so that leaves a bit of a hole in terms of the goalkeeping position. There was some talk, at least somewhere. Can somebody fill me in on this uh, on uh, Zanata's uh, connection yeah. back to his home club in Brazil and a Brazilian keeper? Right. Well, the thing we usually say about rumors from other countries is only one out of ten of them is even real. But this one in particular is this kid, this twenty-one-year-old kid named Felipe Melgiolario. I'm sure I'm butchering that. The only reason Mel-G-L-G-O. we think it's Melgio. Yeah, M-E-L-G-I-O-L-A-R-O. I said it right. Melgiolario. Okay, so <laughs> the only reason we care at all is that he's from Gremio. It's like if it had been any other country, it would have been like 21-year-old keeper. That doesn't do us any good. You know, who cares? But the Gremio part, which is where Sonata just came from, made us go, oh, okay, let's pay attention to that one. But I've talked before on this podcast about the fact that they were in the market researching a keeper just in case, doing their due diligence. And we've been predicting Reggie would get canned and we've been predicting that they would bring a keeper in this next window. So all those things are happening. And this link happens to make some sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, 21 years old doesn't necessarily make any sense, but keeper from Gremio makes sense. Okay. Well, I guess we'll keep an eye out on that one because I think the rumor on that actually started before the Ricarte uh, rumor and has really gone nowhere. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in that one as well. So I took the time to turn on uh, North Texas SC at Globe Life Park or Field? Which one is it? I don't remember. Park. Park. Uh, on that, uh, broadcast. And I, you know, I think my interest in North Texas SC has been, uh, pretty minor. Um, although I was super impressed with their performance last year, but man, what I saw in that game against Chattanooga was not anywhere close to what I saw out of this team last year. And I was specifically, and as I mentioned earlier, I really, really was disappointed in the performance, uh, from Thomas Roberts, who clearly was not happy when he got subbed out. Uh, about 60 minutes into the game. Yeah, Th- Thomas, um, I, I feel a little bit bad for the kid in the sense that he came out of the academy as a 10, you know, and we've talked about the fact that this team doesn't really use a 10, so he's kind of trying to learn a new position, and it's not really gone well for him. And he goes down to North Texas, and what I always say about North Texas is when you go down, you have to play so well that it looks like it was stupid to send you down. Because it is a big level jump between USL 1 and MLS. So Thomas needs to be dominating those games, and he's not. You know, I think the world of Thomas, I think he's got a lot of talent. But his entire life, he's been the best player in his team by just showing up. And now for the first time, really, over the last whatever since he signed as a homegrown, that's not true. Now he's to the point where he's going to have to work his tail off 
and really, really push and really, really fight in order to make progress and get into the team, the first team. And it's not happening for him. So I'm, I'm of an opinion now that Thomas and maybe even some somebody like Evan Cirillo is not getting close to the field and maybe even Brandon Cervania if this other dude comes in, but particularly Thomas, it's time for those guys to go on alone. And I say that because your young 20 year old players, when you're, you're trying to develop them to be MLS pros or better. And USL one is not pushing those guys enough. They're not making any progress when they go down there. So the guys that you need to keep, you need to send them out to somewhere where they can play more and be developed more and be pushed more. The guys that you should keep in Texas keep in Dallas are the ones that you don't have these crazy, crazy high hopes for Like your Emma to Amasis, keep those guys around for mop up minutes and send your prodigy off to play. Like, I don't know, like Chelsea does when all of a sudden they got 15, 18 year olds that they get there worth $20 million each. You know, they loan them out to these teams on these, second tier levels in order to play. And that's what Dallas is not doing. And so are you, are, are, are you saying Thomas should be playing at USL championship level? Is that what you're at, sure at least, or, you know, for a team in another country that has maybe a U 23 team, yeah. you know, somewhere where he can play a bunch at a level that challenges him. Because when we send him to USL, so for some reason, these younger guys have taken on this mentality that going to North Texas is punishment. They go down there. I'm not saying they're, they haven't said this to me, but you go down there and you watch their body language. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I, man. He's kicking the turf. Why do I have to be here? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, so try something different. Send them to a USLC or, I don't know, a, to uh, the Netherlands where a team's got a U23 team that plays in, or, you know, whatever. Or Byron, Bundesliga 3, whatever it is. You know, find a way to get the kid playing at a good level that challenges him. That he, that he thinks he's excited about and he's engaged about and let some scrub dude that's 24 already hang around and get the 20 minutes at the end of the game. It's funny. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. So uh, the day before the game, uh, one of my very good friends uh, tells me, hey, I, I, we're actually driving out to Arlington. We're going to go to the game. And I was like, oh, have you been to a North Texas game before? And he said, no, but, you know, we always go to FC Dallas games. But since there isn't one, uh, we're going to do this instead. And I said, oh, well. Make sure you keep your eye on the little blonde kid playing in the middle of the field. His name's Thomas Roberts. He is outstanding. He is from Arkansas. He is a wonder kid. He will blow you away. And so, uh, sure enough, the next morning, I got a phone call from my friend going, yeah, what's up? You can tell that kid is a world beater. He just doesn't look like he's putting out 100% effort. And he just seems to flip it on and off during the game. And this was my friend who I had specifically told him to watch this guy. And he knows his, you know, my friend knows the game very well. And he could tell that Thomas is a quality player. He just doesn't have his heart in it uh, until those very few moments when he wanted to. And he was clearly the best player on the field. Unfortunately, I think we can all agree, probably only happened for a total of about five minutes over the course of the 60 he was on there that day. Your friend just described Pablo Aranguiz. <laughs> he did. You know what? You're absolutely right. And 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 if you were to take uh, any of the Pablo Aranguiz performances for FC Dallas and Thomas's performance against Chattanooga and put them overlay on top of each other, they'd look an awful lot alike. Would they not, Buzz? Yeah, I, I think there's no question that's true. And it, just like with Aranguiz and just like with Mauro Diaz, it's a question of system fit, too. You know, they, Oscar used Morrow as a false uh, wing. Uh, Lucci tried uh, Orangis as a false wing. Thomas has played 
both as an eight and as a false wing, neither are his natural position. So, you know, some of it's a disconnect that way. Some of it's, as you say, as I said, the idea that I'm not super excited to be down there, you know, compare it to Brian Reynolds when he went down and he just destroyed that level. And it's like, well, this is dumb. Bring him back up. It hasn't gone down since. Well, you know know what? what But but we can go back to last season and there were clear games where Thomas did exactly that, right? Like early in the NTX season, when he was excited about being there and saw the opportunity, he was the dominant center midfielder that we all expect out of him. And we're like, oh man, he's going back up to FC Dallas and he's never coming back. Yeah, I mean, and he was getting some, he even started some games for FC Dallas at that time. And then everyone got healthy and everyone came back and those minutes dropped off. And so now he's not as happy. And then now it's going down to North Texas is no longer like, oh, I'm a chance to prove myself. Now it's punishment, you know? So it's all mentality. You know, and sometimes I, I love that kid. I think he's got so much potential. But if his mind doesn't get right and get focused and get determined, and, and like I said, it's not your turn. You got to take it and own it. If he doesn't do that, it's never going to happen for him here. And maybe it's time for a clean slate with him. As others in West say, maybe it's time for a loan. Maybe he just needs a fresh start. Maybe he just needs a new perspective. You know? Well, it's tough love on our part because, and the reason why I'm spending so much time on this is because we've, you know, we have to take accept some responsibility that we've been hyping the kid now for a year with the yeah. whispering of his name and all that stuff. Um, we want nothing but the best for Thomas because we all, I think all three of us believe he's got the potential to be an outstanding professional soccer player. He's just at that weird junction where it's all in his head. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's rough for him. I mean, you know, we, we talk about him because we've been watching him since he was 15, breaking him with the under 17s beating Real Madrid. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot, there's been a lot of talk and um, of, of his, potential with Bayern Munich and we know he's gone back for some of those impressive and we'll sign you trials and then they haven't done it and he signed his homegrown deal so you know when you think about signing you know you've gone from should be signing for the one of the biggest clubs in the world to playing in USL League One it's uh that there's a there is a a lot of maturity and, and mental toughness needed and yeah, it's, it's gonna. It, it could be a make or break thing, right? It could happily coast through being the big fish in a small pond, and for you know someone in USL Championship at, by the peak of his career, or it could really turn it around, take control of those games which we've wanted to see. Um, you know, proving that he, he he can dominate and. Um, uh, in in an you know a relatively adult game, uh, and then going on and proving everybody wrong, and that you know making the whisper bit not just a bit um, from a player that we highly rate, but uh, we highly rate his potential. But you know, ah, oh, they were right, and everyone, you know, when people have sort of said, anytime we've sort of criticised the performance or anything, well, why do you do that bit? You're just uh, you're just creating the problem. You know, prove them wrong. And go out and do it. It's just going to be that that crossroads is coming a little bit earlier than it does for a lot of professionals. Well, Dallas uh, gets opportunity number two to uh, take on and beat Nashville and collect some points on Sunday night. That game is also here in Frisco at 7.30 p.m. Then they go to Houston uh, the following Friday, and then they're back in Frisco on Wednesday the 26th against Kellen, Acosta, and the Colorado Rapids. 
Um, let's get into, before we end, a little bit of the off-the-field stuff. And I want to be somewhat sensitive to this. Um, uh, I'll, 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 put, I'll juxtapose it this way. So um, I told you guys earlier today that I finally have gotten around to starting a project that I wanted to start. Um, I, I, I brought this idea up several weeks ago, which is I personally am convinced that you could go through every season of FC Dallas Burn dating back to 1996 and come up with some bizarre story that impacted this team on or off the field, and more times than not, it was self-inflicted. Just some sort of weird story that's happened. And so I actually today started a spreadsheet, and I invited multiple people who are either associated with the club today or back at the beginnings of the club to all kind of anonymously fill in each of these years. I don't know if either one of you had had a chance to look at the spreadsheet. Oh my God, it's amazing. It's the most, (laughs) I think we've officially now filled out all of the years with at least one thing. And most of the years have multiple crazy wild ass stories And I bring all this up because of uh, what's happened to this team in 2020, which is really the reason why I came up with the idea in the first place. It's just what an insane year of uh, the season this has been for for this club. But last night uh, and today really put a weird twist on that with the fans in the stadium. And so two parts to this. One, uh, do you guys have any reaction to the club's decision of allowing fans to go into the stadium? And two, uh, the resulting incident that happened during the National Anthem and the club's uh, statement that they put out earlier today about said incident. Well, I thought you and I, uh, I thought, had a funny little exchange when they reduced it to 3,000. And we joked about it's probably because they sold 3,000. But um, I actually thought, looking at the stands from the video, I thought that it looks reasonable the distance between the groups and the masks, you know, it wasn't universal acceptance, I think was pretty good. Uh, so I don't have any big major complaints about their execution of it. I mean, I've heard some little snippets of, oh, my concessions guy didn't have gloves on or, you know, when I had to put my phone in the box going through security, you know, I, there's tiny little some wrinkles they can maybe work on. But uh, for the most part, it seemed OK to me from my seat at home, of course. I mean, I didn't choose to risk it, you know, because of my family, but, um, situation, but, um, I don't, I don't have any big complaints about it actually, to be fair to the team. I thought it looked pretty decent. Dan, did you have any, were you surprised at all at kind of the, for what I, my perception was, was the universal, uh, kind of, uh, crap that the team took mostly from soccer media types. Like I was really surprised at how much, uh, Grant Wall and Pablo Mar and Steve Fenn and uh, uh, Charles Boheim and those guys all went at the club for making the decision to have fans in the stadium. Uh, I think, you know, you can ignore a lot of that grandstanding. Um, personally, I thought maybe they shouldn't have allowed fans for those first two games just because, you know, those are the makeup games for teams that were badly hit by the virus. And, uh, you know, if you want to go on, on the level those are two extra home games that, you know, every other team isn't getting. So you've got, you know, almost a, an adv- an advantage of some form. Just seemed a little and uncouth somehow. But um, it's, it seemed to, to go fairly well. There was a guy from some publication who posted photos of the stands as uh, examples of how people weren't, 
you know, of how disgusting it was. And it was like groups of people and there'd be someone with a bottle of water at their face and their mask was lowered or off their ear or, you know, a person sitting, you know, away for a long distance away from anyone um, who wasn't wearing one. Now, you know, ideally you do want people wearing their masks and being safe, but, um, you know, Collin County, it's uh, not a, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, um, as Buzz said, a lot of small complaints of uh, you know maybe security not not wearing a mask or the boxes that weren't being sanitized, and you know people were also saying, but hey, the security people were like, well, we wish we had Lysol spray or wipes or something, but they just didn't give us that. Those those are the little teething problems that are going to come with every club. Uh, they're they're trying to follow not only state procedures, league procedures, county procedures, but you know come up with their own things to to try and keep everyone as safe as possible and uh, get some revenue. Honestly, the most egregious thing I thought they did was uh, they pushed the the east side back 15 rows so they could put in advertising and they put the logos on the tops too high so the camera never picked them up. <laughs> <laughs> now we have seen Alice. <laughs> yeah, and then um, I, I feel like it would be disingenuous not to at least uh, comment on the incident. And I know, Buzz, you by and large run third degree as a non-political, non-kind yeah. of TMZ I, you know, uh, philosophy, and I, I fully support that. But uh, I, I will admit, I was a bit surprised that there were, and, and I, well, let me say this. I think it's been overblown um, because by all reports, the number of people who booed at the players during the national anthem when they were kneeling was an extremely small number. And I've been told it was maybe as few as one, two or three people. And let me say this, and then, and I think really where the line was crossed in many ways was one of those three people threw a water bottle or a, somebody said beer initially, but I think it turned out to be a water bottle onto the field as their protest and their uh, unhappiness with the fact the fans were. So I, w- I was somewhat surprised by that, but I am also a little put off by the fact that this, there, there is now a perception that there was a significant percentage of fans in the stands booing the players. And I, and I think the way Reggie reacted to it kind of led to that, and then how the media picked up what Reggie said uh, fed into that fire. And then it was all topped off by the really oddly clumsy, vague, non-committal, non-supportive, not... Um, condemning statement from the club uh, earlier this afternoon. Yeah, uh, let me. There's a couple of things in there I want to hit on, um, and the first is that you are correct. I have tried diligently to keep third degree non-political. There's a specific reason why I have a, a Twitter account and a Facebook page and an Instagram account for third degree that is separate from my personal things because people follow us and follow me for soccer, not for politics. You know, now I, I think that stick to sports thing is garbage. You know, if I want to do my personal stuff, I'm gonna, but that's why I have a personal place for that. You know, if you want to know that shit about me, you can come listen, follow me on those places. Third degree. I have, I have specifically turned down articles that have a political twist to them regarding MLS and soccer on multiple occasions before this. So, all I will say, I'm going to leave my politics out of it as much as I can. What I will say is, is that, it, you know, the quote, free country aspect, if you want to protest things, if you want to boo things, you know, that's your call. 
I, like you, I don't like, and where I'm upset and drawing the line is the throwing of the bottle. I don't care if it's a plastic bottle. I don't care if it's a glass bottle. George John will tell you, don't throw bottles on the field. Don't throw <laughs> bottles at people in general, right? Let's not throw bottles. Oh, wait, at people. that's another thing to add to the, the spreadsheet. The oh, George I put John. it in there. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I put it in. Yeah. The and spreadsheet's the awesome. He ripped his face open. The spreadsheet's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, the spreadsheet's awesome. I put a bunch of stuff in it too. I think it's fantastic. Dan, right, have you so, read this? Have you seen the spreadsheet, Dan? I've literally just opened it for the first time. Um, you know, I was driving in back into town today, so uh, I'm definitely looking forward to adding a few things to that. It's pretty glorious, isn't it? Yeah. I was surprised. I mean, I don't think all of them are necessarily crazy, but there is something for every single year, which is very impressive. Yeah, pretty good. Sorry, Buzz, I didn't mean to derail yeah. you. I just wanted to get that Well, the, the other two things I had to say was that I agree with you that I think it's being blown a little bit out of proportion. Um, some of that is the media and I obviously Reggie's statements were newsworthy items. So we would have shared them, you know, when incomplete, when that's what we do now, I also like guts in a player. So Reggie's got guts. Great. Now, if tomorrow another player stands up with the opposite attack and has guts too, I will applaud that too, because I like guts in players. So doesn't matter what he said. I, I like the fact that he stood up for himself. I like the fact if somebody stands up the other way for themselves too. So, and the last thing is, I agree with you about the milk toast statement from FC Dallas. It reminded me of the time that the, um, when they had the pride Jersey warm-up jerseys and that game got canceled or something and they didn't reschedule it. They just kind of let it slide under the table. And it feels like they're trying to let this one slide under the table. Well, that ain't happening because if you are on any social media today that has anything to do with FC Dallas, it's a complete dumpster fire. But the only other bright light that I'm hoping will come of this is that there's no such thing as bad publicity. And FC Dallas is being talked about on big time news media sites and big time broadcast media sites. And it is garnering publicity. So let's hope that a good will come from it in the end for this club that we all love. You know, maybe they can get something out of it, you know, which right now is not a good situation for anybody, I don't think. You know, if, if you talk about the uh, big time publicity, we're going to start creating some conspiracy theories here. <laughs> You're right. They did it yeah, on they, purpose. They left the anthem in on purpose because yeah. apparently the players asked to not have it and the league said, no, we're doing it. So. No, the, the league, it's a league rule if there are fans in the stands. Now, that's something they could probably uh, have a conversation about. But at this point, um it, it is a league rule that if there are fans in the stands, the, the, the anthem gets played. And by the way, they've been playing the anthem at sporting events with a, with fans in attendance for literally generations. So the to end that practice isn't something you just kind of do under the table and and just try to slip by everybody. You, it's got to have be a conversation and an explanation and some reasoning behind why you're going to do that. So uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention was um, I was really happy to find out that it does appear that we've seemingly come uh, found a resolution for people who are a victim of co being cord cutters or can't get Channel 21 uh, in their home for whatever reason, which is the website lowcast.org, L-O-C-A-S-T.org. It is a website, uh, a nonprofit entity that got put together by and large, I think for almost this exact reason, which is people living in New York City didn't have access to 
uh, games that were being put on uh, on different places because they couldn't get their terrestrial station and and you know in, in skyscrapers in New York or whatever it was. And this organization has found loopholes in the laws that allows them to essentially rebroadcast the digital feeds of all these channels if you live in that particular metro area. So if you if you are one of these people that have issues and you live in the Dallas area, Dallas Fort Worth. You go to lowcast.org, L-O-C-A-S-T dot org. You have to do a free account and sign up, and it has to know your IP address is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But it worked last night. Like, the game was not blacked out. And and by the way, not only does it work on a browser, they have an app for pretty much every platform, including iOS, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, Mm. and Android. And it worked great last night. Nice. I don't know if anybody used it, but it uh, but that does seem to be a, a, a workaround for everybody. I shared it with a bunch. I didn't use it. I shared it with a bunch. Yeah, well, I it, it was just kind of a miracle, and uh, now FC Dallas has used up all of the free uh, customer mm. service hours I give them um, for that ticket. So I've, I've used them up for the month. And that was Third Degree Does the Geek Out. There you go. <laughs> that is yeah, a, right. a weird collision of my worlds. Third Degree yeah. and the Geek Out all in one thing. Uh you know what? I was really pleased. It worked really well. So uh, I'll be darned. Somebody and and they're doing it in particular cities. Like the whole thing is set up for only a limited number of cities across the United States, and it just by pure luck, Dallas is one of them. And by the way, they even have all of the HD sub channels in there. And the HD sub channel, I think fifty five point six, which is actually broadcasting BN Sport games. Did you know that? Mm, no. Yeah, there is a one of the stations has an HD sub channel. I think it's fifty five six or fifty five eight or something like that. That is uh, simulcasting BN Sport in standard definition. It's terrible, but it's awesome all at the same time. <laughs> it's a good bad. It's a good bad. All right. Well, hopefully we ended on a good note uh, from what was a uh, pretty awful 24 hours for our beloved little club from Frisco. Uh, losing to Nashville and the first game back from the COVID, uh, all the other off-the-field stuff that happened. But you know what? We'll charge on and hope for a better day on Sunday uh, at 7.30. Uh, anything else that I've forgotten to discuss, guys, you want to bring up for the uh, for the pod? Uh, just Breck Evans is back for North Texas. That was a great to see him back. That's a good ad. Captain, center back, they needed that. That team needs a lot of work. All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan, and we will speak to you next week, hopefully, with a win under our belts. 